0: Hey, everybody, welcome to NLCC Sermon Podcast. My name is Preston, and with me today is Ben. Hey,
1: guys, I'm excited to be a part of this. I think this could be a really cool thing.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh, We are starting this for the first time this week, uh, this kind of intro. And uh, we did this because we are talking about mental health. And this is a big conversation, and we wanted to give it a little bit of extra context. So, here in a little bit, you're going to hear the sermon that Ben gave this Sunday on mental health. But before we get there, I wanted to give you guys a couple quick announcements. Uh, last week was Easter Sunday, and every year we do a special offering on Easter Sunday. Um, and, and this year we were collecting that offering to first uh, give it a special blessing to our missions. We have a lot of missions that we support as a church, and we wanted to, to, to uh, give to them. And so we took an offering, and, and the first chunk went to our missions. The, what was left over uh, is going towards our, uh, the flooring in our kids' area. Uh, which is way overdue for an upgrade. We set a goal of $45,000 and we went above and beyond. Just wanted to praise God real quick um, because we raised $46,000, actually a little bit more than that. And so we couldn't be more happy um, with the generosity of our people and trusting us to serve God's kingdom uh, with your finances. A couple other announcements um, for the summer is we are doing VBS at the end of June and we're looking for some help. So um, this is adults age 18 and up or students 6th through 12th grade. We need uh, volunteers for both categories. Um, so if you want to help out at that, uh, northliberty.cc slash nextsteps is going to be the best place for you to get more information on what that looks like. Also, this summer, we've got camps coming up for students uh, up through 12th grade. So if you know a student or if you are a student uh, up through 12th grade, Michigan Camp is going to be a week that you will not forget. And we want you to go it's going to be a blast. Um, So you can find more information on their website, michianacamp.org, and you can register there, or you can go to our Next Steps page, northliberty.cc, hit the Next Steps. You'll also find a uh, code for a discount to save a little money on that as well. So uh, before we dive into the sermon uh, for this week, I wanted to have a chance to sit down with Ben and ask him a couple questions about um, why we wanted to talk about this topic. So Ben, What made you want to have a message on mental health?
1: Well, to be honest, I don't want to. I don't want to have that conversation. This is a tough one. Um, But I've been overwhelmed by the amount of conversations I've had with different people over the last year. Um, I feel like this is a growing conversation over the last maybe five to 10 years. It seems like it's more prevalent to hear bits and pieces of this conversation. Uh, But with what's happened with the the virus and, and being quarantined, and we've seen people struggle who didn't know they had a struggle. Um, and I've even, I, I think that's actually my story. I've had my moments of, of mental health struggles. And then it's not big, it's not, it's not so overwhelming to me that it makes me feel like I'm in some sort of a new category, but it's brought awareness and perspective to me that I hadn't had previously. And as I've had discussions with other people, I found that there's really a lacking of... Um, churches being willing to step into the space and have these conversations and even even just open the floor to have these conversations um and so i think that was a lot of my um uh, that that was a lot of my uh, reasoning for for doing a quick series and 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 i'm aware that i can't even begin to comprehend all the answers to what this looks like and i know that I'm not qualified to give all the answers, but I felt like if if I could do anything, I could at least open a conversation.
0: Yeah, that's really hard, uh, especially the the I'm not qualified to have this conversation because everyone's looking for someone else to talk about it. Everyone's looking for somebody to to find help in or, or someone to give them advice, but. Nobody feels qualified unless you're like a licensed therapist, right? Yeah, and um, you can't
1: get them because they're too busy right now. They're booked
0: right? because
1: yeah. everyone's struggling and hurting and they're they're taking it up.
0: Yeah, and so it's hard because, you know, if you're not qualified as a pastor or if, if someone else isn't qualified because they feel like they're struggling and, and they don't feel like they have the position to help anyone because they're still struggling, you know, who is going to talk about it? Mm-hmm. I'm not qualified because you know, someone might say I'm not qualified because I've never— dealt with that. It's not something that, that struggles me. So like, who's going to talk about it? Where's the help coming from? So it's an important thing that we can pick up. Um, what is one thing as, as people listen to your message, what is one thing that you really want them to take away?
1: Um, as I worked on this message and put it together, um, I felt a great burden to provide a glimmer of hope or, or some sort of, a. a a solution, which I, I don't like that word in this context, but but something that people could hold on to. And as I as it developed, I realized more and more that it it wasn't going to be something ultra specific, because everyone's need uh, or 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 help that that glimmer of hope that they need is going to be different. And so so for me, as, as this message developed, the one thing that I think stands out more than anything for me is you're um, You're seen. You're seen by God. Um, you're seen when you are in your highest successes, and when you're in your lowest of lows. When when you're when you're, you're riding high, or when you're feeling awful, you are seen and you're validated and, and you're loved in both of those contexts. That that God's love isn't contingent on your ability uh, to get things right. And so um, that for me is the big takeaway. You're seen, and you're not alone. Oftentimes, we feel isolated in the midst of our our struggles we convince ourselves that no one understands that no one's been there before and even beyond that we convince ourselves that god isn't a part of this or that he's away from here that somehow maybe he's he's forsaken me he's left me alone in the midst of this and that couldn't be further from the truth and so i my hope is that this message will, will help you see um just that glimmer of hope that even in the midst of your pain you're not alone what what stood out to you Preston?
0: I think even along those lines of being seen when you brought in the uh, Luke seven text and the picture you were able to paint in my head with um, her, her walking out of the, the town and the funeral procession and just needing to be seen and how Jesus responded in that situation. I thought that was powerful um, because it, it mattered to her. And I think, I think it, it, it matters to us too. The way that Jesus responded to her and her needs in the, in those t- in that time specific, um, it's important for us to know that Jesus sees us the same way. And and I think that specific um, text that you pulled out and was able you were able to apply that to to where we are in our mental health and finding out where God is in our mental health pains and struggles. I think that's really big and important.
1: We hope that as you listen to this message you'll find uh, you'll find that glimmer of hope and that in that as well that it starts that conversation so listen in and make sure you join the conversation i can remember playing baseball at a young age and being taught about the concept of mental toughness. I can remember uh, making an error on the field and the coach telling me to leave that behind. You know, he would challenge us to be mentally tough, that, that oftentimes if you make the mistake, if you don't get over it mentally, then you'll make another mistake. It'll just kind of build and build and build. And so there has to be that ability to kind of leave that in the past and be able to make the next play. I can remember him talking about you know, uh, maybe being up to bat and it's a crucial moment in the game and and you need to be able to perform or or to be able to make the play in that moment. And and to be mentally tough means to not let that moment overwhelm you, to not let that moment uh, distract you from being able to stay on task and stay focused and being able uh, to do what you've trained your body to do. And that took on new meaning for me when I got into high school and began playing basketball. It seemed like every practice... Uh, for basketball was uh, at at the end, we would actually practice mental toughness. And that's kind of a weird thing to think about. But we would practice it. And it usually looked like making the team line up on the baseline underneath the basket. And if you've played basketball, you already know where I'm going with this. Uh, we We would line up under the basket and we would do our running drills at the end of practice for conditioning and that kind of stuff. And then when we were completely exhausted, when the coach had gotten everything he could out of us, he would have us one by one come up to the free throw line and shoot a free throw. And if you make it, then everyone like, takes a deep breath and like, relaxes and we feel good. And if you miss it, it means we all get to run again. And every single person would play this out. And by the end of it, if you're like guy number 15 shooting this free throw, by the time it gets to you, you're completely exhausted. Your legs are gone. Your arms are done. You can't hardly even breathe. You can't see because there's sweat in your eyes. And now it's your turn to go stand on the line and practice mental toughness. Being able to set those things aside, focus, pay attention to what you have to do, and trust what you've trained your body to do. Now, I've found in my adult life that there have been many significant moments when I am glad that I have learned mental toughness. Moments when I have felt good about the fact that I had the ability to just kind of pause, refocus, work through a difficult scenario, work through maybe a hard conversation or walk through an uncomfortable place or, or whatever it may be, and mental toughness, some of that training that I got as a youth and learning some of those things have proven valuable to me in recognizing that, that sometimes it's just a matter of mentally getting to that point to be able to get through and press through something. There's a lot of value there. But I've also learned, I've also learned as an adult and as I've grown that for some people this isn't much of an option. That it's not easy for everyone. And in fact, I've also found this. I found that it isn't always easy for anyone. That all of us have these moments where we struggle. All of us have these times where the mental challenges that we face sometimes are more than what we can handle. Sometimes it's, it's not something that we can just kind of flip a switch in our brain and refocus and reconnect. In fact, we all struggle with our mental health from time to time. For some, it's really kind of simple. I, in fact, I, I want to pause before I get to that. I, this came up after the first service, but one in five adults right now, uh, through research is showing that, one in five adults has a diagnosable mental health disorder. It's much more common than maybe what we give it, uh, give it um, I don't know, respect to or, or, or how you would word that. But it's a, this is a common thing. It's something that most, many of us are dealing with. Uh, for some, it's no different than catching a cold. For some, it's, it's something very simple. You might define it by saying that you just woke up on the wrong side of the bed or you're just not having a good day or you're just feeling under the weather. Uh, there may be ways in which you kind of talk around it, and it just kind of happens every once in a while. You don't put a whole lot of stock into it. You just kind of move on with your life and carry on. But for some others, for other people, this isn't the occasional cough or the runny nose. This isn't seasonal allergies. This is chronic. This is something that they carry with them every single day of their life. It's something that will always be a part of their life. This past year, last 13 months, and the things that have happened within the COVID pandemic, uh, there have been uh, a renewed interest in the conversation surrounding mental health. The ways in which this has challenged us is, is expansive between the stresses of life in America, uh, between being uh, forced into isolation and having to quarantine at different times, uh, the, the reality that we have new fears on top of the fears that we learned how to kind of live with. This last year has forced our attention to mental health. Now I have personally experienced my own unique mental struggles over the last 13 months. I've, I've found myself uh, learning some things, even about who I am. And I've found words and I've found descriptions that help explain who I am and things that I've struggled with before and things that I didn't realize were maybe the size of, of, of issues that, that they actually were. Uh, prior uh, to these last 13 months, Prior to these last 13 months, I think I would have told you that I don't have any sort of mental health issues. I don't have any sort of struggles in that category that that I've been blessed and that it's easy for me. But I'm growing, and I'm recognizing the warning signs and the things that exist within me before I reach those points of being completely overwhelmed. And I wouldn't suggest that what I'm dealing with is something that's chronic or that is something that I won't ever be able to overcome, but I am learning to recognize that it exists and that it's a part of my story. And I've also learned that my story isn't all that uncommon. I know other people who have been completely sideswiped by this last year. People who would have also said that they don't have any sort of struggles when it comes to their mental health. And yet this last year has drawn attention and brought a reality to them that they were previously unaware of. And I know other people who were aware of their struggles prior to all of this. And for them, this year has been an incredible challenge and has been a deeply dark moment in their personal history. So let's talk about it. If this is such a reality, and if it's as prevalent as what people are saying it is, then let's talk about it. And that's what we're going to do for today, and for next week as well. We're going to spend some time talking about mental health. And in that conversation, I'm going to be very upfront with you. I'm going to let you know that I'm not going to give you lots of answers for many reasons. One of them is, I don't know. I myself am learning and figuring out what all this even means and what it looks like for me personally, but what it looks like for a church collectively, and to also recognize that each of us carries our own unique story. Each of us has our own unique experiences, and what may be good and true for me may not necessarily be exactly what you need to hear. And so we're going to speak to it kind of from like a thousand-foot perspective, not necessarily up close and personal. But that doesn't mean that those answers don't exist. And, and now kind of feels like a good time to just throw in a real simple commercial for you. We have a, recess called, a resource called uh, Right Now Media that is an incredible resource for you. If, if you're just looking for Bible studies, if you're just looking to grow in your faith and your knowledge, it's a great resource. Uh, contact us, we can give you the stuff. It's all for free through us. We can give you the information that you need to connect with that. But specifically in the areas of mental health, you will find that there are uh, studies, there's teachings that deal specifically with depression, anxiety, even issues into suicide. And while I may not have all the answers, I feel like I can help you get to some resources that can. And if that's all you need to hear today, then please hear that and reach out and let us help you figure out what that is. But let's talk about it. I feel like this is a good week to start this conversation. After Easter weekend last last weekend, you know, that's kind of the big celebration of Christianity. That's the high point of high points. If, if you were a follower of Jesus, if you were one of the women who went to the tomb looking for a dead body that you were gonna treat with spices and, and perfumes, and you showed up and you found a living man that you were not expecting to see, that is the high point of Christianity, and it's such a big deal that we get together every year to celebrate that as a historical event, that this isn't just a, a fairy tale that exists within an old book that we like to read frequently, but that this thing really happened. And because it really happened, it changes the course of history. It shapes how you look at history previous, and it shapes how we live afterwards, right? That it's so significant. It's, it's this big high point in, in our spiritual journeys, And yet, if you look at the last week of Jesus' life, you're gonna see a roller coaster. It starts on the previous Sunday as he comes riding into town on a little colt and people are like throwing palm leaves in front of him and they're celebrating, they're calling him a king. They're ready to anoint him right then and there. It is a great moment in his history. Everyone's thinking that this is fantastic. But by Thursday night, Jesus is in the garden praying by himself because his disciples are asleep and drops of blood are pouring out of his body like sweat. And surely we can acknowledge that the followers of Jesus felt very differently on Saturday night than they did on Sunday morning. And it reminds me of the story of Elijah. Elijah's an old testament prophet. He's kind of put on this pedestal. He's he's considered one of the greatest of the greats. He's he's someone that's constantly being referenced to in the Old Testament. And even the New Testament is constantly talking about Elijah, this incredible hero of, of God and, and his people and this prophet who came and did some amazing work. In fact, one of the questions that Jesus frequently got asked when he went out and, and did his his preaching and his teaching is that people would come to him and ask him, Are you Elijah? Like they anticipated Elijah was gonna come back and that's one of the greatest compliments they could ever give to Jesus was they thought he might be Elijah. He's this guy who just has all this esteem, all this, uh, all this belief of who he is and, and, and held up in such a high way. But in reality, his, his story's pretty simple, pretty short. Uh, he doesn't have like the big books like some of the other prophets and, and even the stories and the history around his life are pretty small. It starts in 1 Kings chapter 17 and it's done by 2 Kings chapter 2. Like, it's really quick, really short. He starts in 1 Kings 17 by going to the king and telling him, it's not going to rain anymore until I say so. And then he leaves. And I think that the king was probably confused by this interaction, right? But then he goes, and, and Elijah goes on his way. And Elijah finds himself out in the desert, uh, and, and he, he comes across this woman who's collecting sticks. And he asks her to make him some bread, and she says no. Because she's collecting sticks, she's going to go start a fire. She's going to cook the rest of her flour and oil for her and her son. And she's going to eat it with her son, and then they're going to die. They have nothing else. She has no hopes, no plans beyond this, and she isn't going to give what's last to some random guy who comes to her. Elijah challenges her to trust him, and she does. And eventually it leads to him living with this woman and her son for, for some time, and every day there's enough flour, there's enough oil for that day. It's an incredible uh, miracle of provision and how God cares for this family. It's a really cool story. Until at some point, the son dies unexpectedly. And the woman is grieving for the loss of her child, no doubt, but she's also angry. She's angry specifically at Elijah. In fact, she goes to him and she says, why did you preserve my life so that we would have to go through this? She was very content with dying with her son. She was not content with watching her son die and her not. That's understandable. And she's broken and she's hurt. And Elijah in that moment goes to her son and he brings her son back to life. It's an incredible story. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it's the famous story of Elijah. It's the one that you've probably heard and are most familiar with. If you've been around church for a long time, even if you've not grown up in church or been in church ever, you've maybe heard this story. Elijah has a showdown with some prophets of a different God. He he, he sets up this whole thing on the mountainside. He tells them, you build an altar and you put the sacrifice on the altar, but you don't light your altar. You're going to ask your God to do that and then I'm going to do the same thing. And he sets it up, and he lets them go first. And so he sits back and watches these prophets of a God that does not exist begin crying out to him, asking him to light the fire, and it never happens, and Elijah loves it. He mocks them, he celebrates the fact that they're failing right before his eyes. There's a crowd of people sitting back watching this to take this in and see who the true God is. And and he just plays it up. They're still in this drought, there's still no rain. Elijah goes and gets all this water and begins pouring it over his altar and his sacrifice. He soaks it, he soaks it so much that this dry ground that's not seen rain for years is now holding water. Don't miss that. And then Elijah simply says a very simple prayer. And then God does something incredible and consumes not just the sacrifice, but the altar itself, all the water around it. It's an incredible, incredible moment. It would have been something to see. And an incredible revival breaks out among the people. Can't you imagine? These people who've been living on a fence. In fact, Elijah tells them that. You've been living on a fence. And you couldn't decide who you wanted to follow. And so they went with what was popular, what culture was saying. And they began following this God who did not exist just because that's what the people around them were doing. And he called them to repent. He called them to change. And a revival breaks out. And this crowd of people, this, this mass of people, pursue these false prophets and kill them. Now, that may sound weird for us. But for Elijah and for the prophets of the Old Testament, this is the best day in the world for them. Like They couldn't have thought of a better experience than to have their God win a very simple visual battle for everyone to see, and it lead to incredible revival, and it lead to also the wiping out of this fake God who does not exist. For Elijah, this is the high of the highs. This is the best moment possible. This is absolutely as good as it can possibly get. This is why they're still talking about Elijah in the New Testament. It's this moment, it's this victory, it's this success that he experiences at the highest of highs. First Kings chapter 19 starts with a woman named Jezebel who is the queen of Israel. She is not an Israelite. She's a foreign woman who is intermarried into this kingdom. And she has brought Baal worship with her into this kingdom. These prophets who were killed the day before were her prophets. She is on the losing side of this. And she's bitter and she's angry. And she sends word to Elijah and she tells him, if you're not dead by the end of the day, then I'll face the consequences. Now, hours before, hours before, Elijah is on the top of the mountain. It's like literally on top of a mountain. As good as it gets, everything has gone his way. This is the greatest success he could ever imagine. He is the prophet of all prophets. And hours later, a woman ushers a threat to him and he runs. He literally runs for his life in terror and in fear. He leaves his servant behind. He flees to the desert where he ends up taking refuge under a broom tree. I think he kind of reaches that point and just collapses. And in that moment, he wishes that he would die. In fact, his words are, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Have you ever been there? I've been there. I've been in those moments where I've had the greatest of successes only to feel like my legs have been taken out from under me. I've been there. I can remember doing ministry the uh, summer of 2009 with a group of high school students seeing incredible growth and commitment. Kids making decisions that I wish adults had the maturity to make. Kids, kids who were recognizing that this call to follow Jesus was going to impact every crevice of their life, and so they were making decisions about their careers, they were making decisions about their relationships, they were making decisions about personal changes that needed to happen in their lives, and I spent a week with these kids, and at the end of it, I felt like my faith had been challenged. I felt like I had grown, and as a minister, I was on the top of the mountain. Things were as perfect as they could possibly be until I got home, and there was a meeting that had been scheduled that I wasn't aware of, and my legs got cut out from under me. Have you been there? Have you had that call into the office when you thought your job was secure? Have you come home and found the person you were married to no longer living there? Maybe maybe it's simpler than that. Maybe you've just had that good day Where everything just felt normal and nice and easy, and you got along with your spouse, and your kids actually listened to you, and everything was nice and smooth. And then at the end of the day, just before you go to bed, you check your phone, and there's a text or there's an email, and you know you probably shouldn't open it, but you do it anyways. And when you do, something hits you, something that you weren't expecting, and then you don't get to sleep all night. Have you been there? instead of gathering his friends around him for support, instead of of Elijah in this moment gathering people together, he ends up isolating himself. And if you look close, you're going to see that Elijah's experiencing many of the symptoms of depression that are still so very common today. If you look at him, you'll see that he's lacking sleep. He's physically exhausted. He feels rejected and worthless. He's isolated and irrational. He has negative thoughts about even his own Death. And I struggle with this picture of Elijah because it doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the pictures of Elijah. We like Elijah in 1 Kings 18. We don't like Elijah in 1 Kings 19. And it doesn't seem to fit. He doesn't seem to be that hero that everyone else seems to say that he is because he's, he's lonely and he's exhausted. He's, he's questioning his own calling and his mission. He seems depressed. And he seems so depressed that 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 at best he's just whining, but at worst he's going to hurt himself. What Elijah is facing in this wilderness is not a bad day. This isn't a dark moment. This isn't something simple or or occasional. This is big, this is comprehensive, this is a breakdown. Now, I share this story with you for two reasons. As we talk about mental health, I share with you the story of Elijah for two reasons. The first one is this. I suspect, I'm guessing, that if mental health is something that you struggle with, if that is an issue that you carry and you've asked for answers, you've asked for relief, you've even asked for cures, and it's just never happened, I'm guessing, I think it's possible that maybe you've looked into Scripture and you've wondered where you're at. You've wondered where your character is. You've wondered where where God interacts with who you are in Scripture. I mean, we look at Jesus in the New Testament, we look at his ministry, and we see him interacting with these people all the time. He's making legs that don't work suddenly strong enough to hold bodies. He's making eyes that are blind able to see, and ears that, that don't hear, all of a sudden they're functioning, and tongues begin working. Skin that has leprosy is suddenly cured. Jesus is a master at handling the physical stuff. And we're good at paying attention to that too. If you go to any church in America and find their prayer list, it'll look probably much like ours. We're really good at identifying physical needs. In fact, we're so good at finding physical needs that sometimes when people have emotional or mental needs, we give them casseroles. Because we don't know how to help with that, but, but here's some food. We'll care about you physically. Physically. And I don't say any of this to downplay the role of physical, and I'm not certainly going to say anything bad about our prayer list and caring for people who are hurting. But this whole realm of mental, if you've struggled with mental issues, I think it's very possible that you've looked into Scripture and you've tried to figure out if you even have a place here. And so I want to share this story with you. I want to share Elijah with you because I want you to see you have a place. I want you to see that your story is represented. I want you to see that you're not the only one who's trying to interact with God with the same kinds of problems that you have. And that's important, and you need to hear that. The second thing that you need to see in this is the location of God. Oftentimes when we hurt and when we struggle, we begin asking questions like, where's God? Where's God in the midst of my pain? Where's God in the midst of my hurt? Where's God when I'm struggling and I'm hurting? Where is he then? And I want you to look back at this story. And in fact, even if we continue, when, when Elijah is passed out asleep under this broom tree, the last thing he says is he wants to die. When he comes back to, 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 you know, out of his sleep, there's an angel of the Lord there that God has placed there to minister to him until he's ready to return back to his community. There's food that has been prepared over some hot coals and there's water. And he just very gently says, take and eat and restore your strength. It's a beautiful picture. And what I want you to see here is where's God? Well, God is right there. God is in that moment with him that in the midst of the lowest moment in Elijah's life, God is with him just as much as he was in 1 Kings 17 and just as much as he was in 1 Kings 18. That God is loving him even in the midst of his breakdown. God is there, he's attentive, he is gentle and compassionate and caring in the midst of it. I love this story about Elijah because it shows that he's very capable of being faithful, but it also shows that he's very capable of being fearful. And I love that because I'm both of those things too. I know that I can be faithful, but there's those days when I feel like the things that I'm facing are too much and I can't overcome them. They overwhelm me. They tear me down and I become fearful. And I struggle. And I need to know that God is with me then just as much as he is in my moments that I'm faithful. God is with Elijah in 1 Kings 19, just like he was in 1 Kings 17, where a woman needs food and a son needs to be raised from the dead. And he's with him just as much as he was in 1 Kings 18, where there was this incredible show. In fact, in fact, you can't even look at 1 Kings 18 and even think Elijah did anything. God is the main character there. He's the one who's doing something. And Elijah got to be a part of it. But sometimes when we reach those low spots, we start questioning whether or not we're alone. Elijah was, he ran off into the desert by himself, and even then, God was right there. There's a platitude that sometimes gets said in church circles, and I fear that I'm actually guilty of saying this myself, and if I have, then I repent. I'll tell you up front, I repent of ever saying this to anybody, because this, in my opinion, is absolutely lies, but sometimes in church, you'll hear people say that God will not give you more than you can handle, and that's not true. It's not true. In fact, I, I, I think it's sin to even suggest. Sometimes life gives you more than you can handle. And I believe that sometimes God will as well. Because it's in those moments when we are overwhelmed and when we reach those points of breakdown where we find that he's right with us like he's always been. It brings us right back into the place of where he is. And there's something powerful here we look at Elijah and we start to ask questions about whether or not he really deserves all this esteem, whether or not he really was all that great. He has this awful moment. He almost looks pitiful, right? Like we kind of talk down about who he is. And he is just as loved in that moment as he was in all of his successes. One of my favorite stories, pastoral stories of Jesus from the Gospels, comes from Luke chapter 7. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling together and they're walking into this new town and as they're approaching, uh, there's a funeral procession that's making its way out of the town. And I like to uh, play pretend in my mind. I like to imagine what I would have done in that situation, what, what Jesus could have done in those moments, right? And as Jesus is walking into this town, as he comes across this funeral procession, there's a widowed woman who's walking behind the casket of her only son. This is the saddest Worst day of her life, not because she has lost her son, but because she's also lost her future. She has nothing left. She is alone. She has no prospects. She has no idea how she's going to continue to survive in this world. This is the worst day. She has so much more going on than just grief. And I think to myself, what, would Jesus, what, what, what could Jesus have done in this situation? Jesus could have bowed his head respectfully and waited for the procession to pass by. That's, that's what I do when I'm driving down the road and there's a funeral procession, right? You, you pull over and you kind of wait for them to, to drive by. Um, Jesus was an important guy. He had important things. I mean, there's a reason why he's going to this town. Maybe he had an appointment. And so Jesus could have you know, bowed respectfully or something, but then continued on his way because he had somewhere to get to. You know, I would have, I would have uh, given him the pass on that, right? Like he could have done that. But I love Jesus. I love that he doesn't do either of those things. Jesus, as he sees his funeral procession, stops it. He goes and he interrupts it. He stops them where they're at. And he goes to this woman for two very significant reasons. And if you've ever struggled with mental health, if you've ever struggled with this and tried to figure out where God is, I need you to see these two things that happen with Jesus in this moment. When he goes and he interrupts her, the first thing that she needs to know is that he sees her. He sees her. He's aware of her pain. He's aware of her hurt, and he does not expect her to walk this alone. He doesn't expect to just let her continue on her life without interacting with him. And so he sees her, but the second thing is he needs her to see him. He needs her to be able to see him and know that he's there with her and who he is. It reminds me of Elijah. He's eaten, he's had some water, he sleeps some more. And then God leads him to this cave on the face of a mountain and God says, Elijah, I need you to see me. Do you remember the story? Elijah sits at the face of this cave and he looks out and he begins hearing this wind, this big, powerful wind that begins sweeping down through around this mountain. And this isn't a normal wind. This is a supernatural wind that he's hearing. And he kind of perks up in anticipation of this moment when he's going to experience God. Is he going to see him? Is he going to hear him? Like, what's going to happen? He doesn't really know and he anticipates. He anticipates and this wind passes and there's no God there. And then he begins to hear rocks crumble and the earth begins to move and he feels this this violent earthquake began taking place and he looks and he waits, anticipating, expecting to see God and he's not there. And he hears some cracking and some popping, sounds of a fire sweeping through this valley outside this mountain as he looks out and he anticipates to see a very powerful God who is co- who's coming in this cleansing fire of the area around him. He anticipates, he gets excited and it passes and God is not. There. Do you remember how God reveals Himself? Do you remember the story? Elijah, sitting in the cave, suddenly hears a gentle whisper. I don't know your story. And I don't know what mental health conversations, where they would go with you or, or what value you would have from them or what conversation you need to have in that conversation. But I suspect, I suspect that in the world that we're living in where more of us are dealing with this than previously ever realized, I would suspect that there's some people in the room who need to hear that God sees you that you are not walking this alone, that you are not alone by any means that he is with you and that he cares and that when he comes alongside of you, he does not judge you as being some sort of a failure or someone who's not capable of being mentally tough. He sees you as someone that he deeply loves and cares about. And he needs you to see him. He needs you to hear that gentle whisper.
0: If you're worshiping with us online this morning and you're looking for God and you're asking the question, where is God? Um, I wanna invite you to go to our website and click the contact us button and send us a message and and let us know what's going on and, and we wanna connect with you and we wanna help you see that God cares about you. And if you're in this room with us right now and you're wondering where God is and you're hurting, after I pray, Ben and I are gonna be down here at the front and we would love to have a chance to pray with you and and listen to you and, and offer what we can to let you know that you are loved by God, you are seen by God and by us and we care about you. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, whoever needs to hear it right now, show them that you love them. Show them that you see them and that you care for them. God, help us to draw towards you and our needs. Help us to not be silent anymore. Help us to know what what it looks like to see your love and and to feel the pain that we, we may have even when we feel like we're in the dark and nobody else understands us. God, show us that you love us and that you see us. God, I pray for anyone who's hearing this that Maybe they're not wrestling with that on their own, but they know someone who is a spouse, a friend, or a child. God, I pray that you give them the tools they need to be, the support that they need to be for the people around them. We pray these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.
1: Hey guys, thanks for listening. We want to encourage you to take your next step. If that means uh, reaching out to one of us on staff, if you need to start the conversation, please do so. Go to our website, northlibrity.cc. The top and the bottom of every single page is a button that says contact us. Reach out. Let's start the conversation so that we can help one another in our pursuit of Jesus.
0: And make sure you join us next week for part two in this conversation uh, on mental health. Thanks for joining us.